Welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast, where our mission is to encourage, equip, and empower every woman on her faith journey with Jesus Christ. Today, we are honored to hear from North Central University president, author, pastor, and former church planner, Dr. Scott Hagen, and his beautiful wife, who is also a speaker, writer, mentor, mother of their four married children, and grandmother of 10, Karen Hagen, as they have a conversation with our podcast host, McKelty Bloom. In this episode, you will hear Dr. Scott and Karen share on leading through crisis where you can find support as a leader, and how you support your spouse through challenging seasons of leadership. I hope you enjoy this podcast. President Hagen and Karen, I am so excited to have you guys on the podcast. Thank you for sitting down with me and taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, I'm honored to be here. Never too busy to talk about life, the school, meet great people. So we're, yes. we're blessed you asked. Well, it's very fun for me. Uh, Like I told you before we sat down, I graduated from North Central. So every time I'm here, something's different. Mm -hmm. And I love walking around and seeing all that has changed. And it's just, I mean, you got the bus now. That's a huge new thing I saw in social media. Mm -hmm. That is really exciting. Very happy. The athletes um, can travel. I think they were using some vans. And it's kind of crazy because inflation went way up. Contracts for Mm -hmm. buses went crazy. And out of that, this idea emerged in a very generous church, had a great bus. When I first heard they had a bus, I thought, ah, hmm. I've seen those buses. You know, <laughs> Someone's like, I got a yeah. bus. And then uh, <laughs> my admin assistant here uh, said that it's a great bus. So mm. we looked at it, I said, this is a great bus. And so then mm. they gifted it to the school and we got it really cool wrapped and mm. we're blessed. Yeah. Well, it's just so exciting to see all that has happened in the last couple of years because I was um, Dr. Anderson's last year and then I graduated. So I missed the start of your year. And so it's been really fun to hear of all the updates and all of that. But it's hard to believe it's been six years. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, even for me, I'm like, it's been six years yeah. that I've been out of college. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, before we get started, if you guys just want to introduce yourselves for people who might not be familiar um, with you, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll start. Um, my name's Karen Hagen, and I am a mother of four, husband and wife, wife of one, yep. um, <laughs> grandmother of 11. Wow. And... Uh, I'm an ordained minister for the Assemblies of God and uh, functioned as pastor, co-pastor with my husband. And uh, we've been married for 40 years. Mm. And uh, let's see, we've been in ministry for 40 years. Oh, wow. So it's been a wild ride mm. and it's really been a lot of fun. So that's me. It's good. The mm-hmm. other part of that equation, uh, Scott Hagen. And I just had the privilege of turning 60. Oh, yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. And Karen mm-hmm. is 60. We mm-hmm. both are up front with that. So Good year. Halfway to 120. <laughs> and as Karen mentioned, a very wonderful family unit, four kids. Kind of raised in, we've been raised in ministry, church planning, all that. And so uh, for our family, it turned out awesome. You know, it was did. a great experience for our kids. And so they're all healthy and married well and uh, love the Lord and they're trying to Mm. replicate their childhood which is the greatest compliment Mm. a kid can ever pay to a parent is when the kid Mm. tries to replicate their upbringing Mm. 
So that's cool. And again, our 11 grandkids are the joy of our life. They consume our time, money, and conversation. <laughs> yes. I told our adult kids that we skip over them now. So <laughs> That's back, how it should be. Yeah, they're, the they're back down to a $50 gift certificate <laughs> on Christmas. And then all the real money spent on the grandkids. So yeah. I said it's just going to go over the top yep. of you now. Sorry, you got your yeah. time. <laughs> but just um, finishing my sixth year here at North Central. Mm -hmm. And it's been an unbelievable joy. Um, feel like it's been two presidencies, you know, the pre-pandemic, pre-George Floyd, mm. and then when those events happen simultaneously, uh, leading a school through all of that has been stressful, mm -hmm. um, to say the least. And but it's been a monumental experience. And uh, I know the Lord sent us here, prepared us for this, mm -hmm. and we were not here by <clears throat> accident for that. All of that stuff. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I do want to jump into that, but at first, first I'm wondering why North Central. Like, what was it that drove both of you to North Central? Well, I would say that probably uh, we ministered in Michigan for five years back in 2001. Did we start in 2001? Yeah. And uh, our daughter came to North Central. Oh, okay. And so that's really where we kind of started the relationship. And Scott taught here. You were um, on the president's, what was it? President's advisory board. Advisory and I was an adjunct board, teacher adjunct. right above my head. Yeah. In, in, in <laughs> right above the office. Yeah. And so that was where the relationship really started. We fell in love with, you know, North Central, as does most everybody that comes onto the campus. Yeah. And um, our daughter had a phenomenal experience here. And so that's where the relationship started. And we've always had, you know, held it in our hearts. And after we were in Michigan, we planted um, another church in California. And then when they called, it was like familiar territory, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So we were very open to that. Yeah, I, I had gone back to school in my mid or late 40s to get my master's degree, fell in love with learning. And then on the conclusion of the master's degree, I jumped into a Ph.D. program at Gonzaga with no <clears throat> idea of this. I just wanted to kind of prepare myself for my mid 50s to actually teach at a university. We've been pastoring for our whole life since we were 26 senior pastors. So just felt like we wanted to do something unique in the teaching realm. So I was getting my doctorate. And then halfway through that is when uh, North Central opened up. Hmm. I did get a phone call five years earlier from a search firm about Oral Roberts University, hmm. which was kind of a shock, you know, that was on some list of seven names for ORU. Uh, but I wasn't ready for that. Mm -hmm. And I it was only in my master's program, but it loosened the knot. Hmm. So that when North Central called in 2016, um, there had been five years of kind of preparation for this. Mm -hmm. And of course, I had a love affair with the school. My mm -hmm. daughter had a great experience here. You know, Gordon Anderson walked on water, in my opinion. <laughs> I loved him uh, profoundly. Mm -hmm. I felt it had the best DNA still of a Bible college, but still had all the sophistication of a university. Mm -hmm. So it was a rare uh, place. And yeah. so it caught my imagination. Yeah. Yeah, it is a great place. That's for sure. And they are lucky to have you guys. Like you really have done so much exciting things for the school. So I'm enjoying it. Yes. Well, good. Uh, well, you touched on this already a little bit, but you jump in. You're like, OK, I'm going to figure out how to be the president of this university. And then, boom, pandemic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, something that no other leader before you had had to ever experience. And then on top of that, OK, wow, you know. George Floyd, right in Minneapolis. We're right downtown. It's like a couple of blocks. You know, I recognized it. I'd gone by it so often as a student, right where it happened. So just kind of paint a picture for me of 
how how it was for you you guys as a team you know walking through all of that in just a couple of months all of that the start of it well <laughs> it, it definitely instantly tapped into our 38 years of being pastors mm. so crisis is not new uh, to us we have lived um, with thousands of people that we pastored and every imaginable crisis and story mm -hmm. um, has come across our mm -hmm. life. So it, that's probably why the Lord picked in this season to have a former pastor uh, educator mm -hmm. in this role, uh, because I think our instincts had been groomed to know how to react in those opening moments of these situations. You know, I had 24 months before the pandemic hit. So mm -hmm. uh, the school, I won't say, I would <clears throat> never use the word easy. This job is terribly difficult mm -hmm. on its best day. But the first two years, it just seemed to grow and flow. And I felt like I was getting my rhythm. And then in January of 2020, I remember sitting in a meeting and we were aiming toward the largest freshman class that coming fall. We'd grown wow. um, 54 freshmen in two years um, mm -hmm. from the two years before. And we were looking at the largest freshman class in a decade. And everything just seemed to be pointing that way. And then, of course, the bombs fell. And mm -hmm. that being the pandemic, which it was unusual because the whole world suddenly had the same problem yeah. and was all talking about figuring out the same things. But for us, it was like a pastoral moment, a pastoral crisis. You've got fear, apprehension, uncertainty. That's, that's our sweet spots. Um, <laughs> we know how to lead those conversations and live in it. So that was not foreign to us. Yeah, the mechanics of how to run distance learning and flip all of that instantly in March uh, of 2020 when we sent kids home for um, spring break mm -hmm. and they couldn't come back. We thought they'd be back Monday and by Tuesday we were saying extended another week and by mm -hmm. Thursday another week. And then by that Friday we were saying classes will be canceled for the rest of the semester. And it just was bizarre yeah. looking back. Um, and of course, we're then in the lockdown, we're managing that. Um, it's all happening so fast, so you're not really assimilating any of the trauma or the organizational chaos that's going on, because you're just, it's all happening like a, you've come across this automobile accident, you're just helping. And so um, then of course, uh, Memorial Day, when Floyd died, mm -hmm. and between that Monday, and we rolled over in bed on Tuesday morning and read the story, and then by Thursday, uh, the world has caught fire and the whole globe has been consumed from London, Paris, yeah. Beijing with George Floyd. And so I got a phone call that week um, from a person who was working with the family. They said the family has no place to go. Uh, the city shut down with the pandemic. Would North Central be open to opening their chapel so the family could have a place to grieve? And they said for a small family gathering. Mm. And so uh, <laughs> our executive team quickly met um, on Zoom and we said, this is where Jesus wants us to be. And again, it's pastoral. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's yeah. not strategic leadership. It's, it's, it's your heart, your instincts. And so in that moment, we unanimously voted the executive committee that this is where Jesus would want us to be. So we opened up the house uh, for that. I mean, I've led many funerals in my life and uh, hundreds, and I've never closed the church unless there was a real blatant misuse of the church um, for people to gather and grieve. And so over the next 72 hours, this global event unfolds with 100 million people on CNN watching the service yeah. from our chapel. 
and you know the Today Show and NBC Nightly News and 300 other media people right in front of Trash Chapel. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the violence it hit mm-hmm. was um, it was right on the verge of a, an uncontrolled situation. And I would say that the, the the Floyd situation and the aftermath of the city was far more difficult for North Central than it was the pandemic. Yeah, really. Um, but yeah, we lost. Uh, I will say conservatively a hundred freshman applications in twelve days oh. once the fire started mm-hmm. because people pulled their deposits for that fall because they felt Minneapolis was not safe. Yeah. So over that next year, we lost two hundred and sixty kids uh, wow. from, from the school. Yeah, residential students, and mm-hmm. so that's over five million dollars unexpectedly that walked out the door between pandemic and between the the safety issues of Minneapolis. So, mm-hmm. but it was it was pastoral. I mean, what do you remember about it, Karen? I just remember it being a obviously an incredibly intense time where literally we were asking the Holy Spirit every single step. What do we do next because there is no framework, there is no foundation, there's no you know, some, this has not happened before, so we do not have anything to look back to to mm-hmm. see how the, we just had to be led by the Holy Spirit and um, do what he asked us to do next. And it was a very uh, intense time, but it was a very spiritual moment for us yeah. as leaders to be have, have to have our ears so attuned to what the Holy Spirit was leading us to do in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so much goodness over time has flowed toward the school. Mm-hmm. It's hard to remember the animosities in those first few moments because our best friends in the world were looking at us in the eye saying, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And of course, everybody, the, the, the Biden-Trump uh, election was only five months down the road. It was, so yeah. between the <laughs> COVID, George Floyd, in the election, all in the same year, it became this almost insurmountable tension. So people organized in their head that this is political. And I said, mm. no, it's pastoral. Mm, I love that. Mm. This isn't a political gesture. It's a pastoral gesture. Mm-hmm. And when I walked off the stage of the funeral, I was asked to go on the Tonight Show, uh, Today M- show. the Today Show in the studio the next morning. The NBC Nightly News was out here wanted me on. Um, Fox wanted me on, Joy Reid wanted me on, MSNBC, all these shows. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, no, Mm -hmm. do not do any of that. Um, Do not do that. This is a trap. Uh, You're a pastor educator. Mm -hmm. Stay in that lane, Scott. Mm -hmm. And had I gone on those shows in that moment, it would have probably ruined our professional life. Mm -hmm. uh, Because people would have politicized it instantly. Um, So that pastor educator lane has just been very good to us mm-hmm. and then over time history's been wonderful even the people that were mad at us thought we we're doing we we're being political um have come back and said north central was being kind and was being good neighbors mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. minneapolis mm-hmm. and i, I had a, i had mm-hmm. a very significant black leader out of the ivy leagues from harvard call me two days after the event wanted to meet me i didn't know if he wanted to yell at me or whatever <laughs> and he said you know i i've uh never given an ovation to a person in my living room. He says, I couldn't figure out how George Floyd ended up at North Central. Nothing Mm -hmm. in the world would bring George Floyd to North Central. But he said his perspective as a black leader in America, and and I'm not mentioning his name, but he's a very significant Mm -hmm. black leader in America. He said the fact that that North Central let Floyd, this emblem of the hood and heartache, Mm -hmm. lay at rest in your house, he said it took 50% of the violence out of the atmosphere that day. Mm. Had that funeral been in another setting, it could have stoked 
bloodshed in America. Mm. But the fact that North Central risked it and had Floyd lay, this guy lay in your house like that, calmed the nation in that moment. He said that was his perspective as a black leader. Now, not everybody has his perspective, but mm. I think there was powerful significance in what he said. Have you heard of the Sisterhood Leadership Retreat? Bridging the Gap believes every woman is a potential leader, and we have designed this retreat to invest in your leadership development. Whether you're an experienced marketplace ministry or community leader who is wanting to continue to grow, or you would like to begin developing skills and network as a future leader, this 24-hour event is for you. Mark your calendar and join us on February 10th and 11th at Lake Geneva Christian Center in Alexandria, Minnesota. We'll have main sessions with authors, speaker and business coach Allie Worthington and Waters Worship, multiple workshops with speakers like Portia Allen, Peggy Vogley, Tabitha Perry, and others, networking opportunities, exhibitors, and fun, all to encourage, equip, and empower your leadership potential. Some new options available this year include cozy up north activities like a guided moonlit walk, ice skating, a lakeside bonfire, a morning fireside devotion, and more. You can also sign up to get your headshots updated by a photographer. It's going to be a power-packed, great event that you and your team won't want to miss. Register individually or as a group at mnbtg.org slash slretreat. That's mnbtg.org slash slretreat. We'll see you there. I just really appreciate what what you're saying about approaching it also as a pastor, because I think just as leaders in ministry, sometimes in crisis, there's all of a sudden, okay, do I have to put my leader professional, I'm running a, a business, running a ministry, or do I just need to be there for the people? Mm-hmm. And right now in that setting, you need to be there for the people yeah. that were hurting, the students that were scared, yeah. that were overwhelmed, just everybody in the world was experiencing trauma in that moment. And especially the people in the residents of Minneapolis that, you know, I have friends that live in Minneapolis and you're terrified and of what everything is going on. I just really appreciate that piece of it. No, oh, that's very kind. Very kind. So I, I don't think <laughs> it's a mistake that the Bible talks so much about you have to be in community with others. And and what did your community look like at that point? And in, you're relying on your team. You're relying on your support system. How does that work? And when all of a sudden it's like, hey, the world shut down, keep running your university. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Uh, and thank goodness that Gordon uh, Anderson, the previous president, had two years before he left, started the mechanism for digital learning. So had that two years have not been, hadn't been processed well, then we wouldn't have been accredited. When I first came, we received accreditation the fall of 17 when I first arrived, but it's because of two years of previous work. Had we not had that in place, North Central would probably not be open today because we would never have been able to flip the university in a matter of moments to digital learning because we had online classes, but we had a mechanism and infrastructure that we've been working on for my first two years. And then we launched it in the fall of 18 was our first ever online student. Think about that. Mm. And (laughs) we had seven. Mm-hmm. And then we grew to 31. And then the following year in 20, 2019, 2020, I think we had 100. But we had the mechanism then. Mm-hmm. And we could literally flip the whole university. When we came back in the fall, that was tough. Because the pandemic is raging. Social distancing. Masks. Uh, masks. All of it. And 
the, the way the teachers had to teach behind plexiglass, <laughs> masks, and a shield. And they had a uh, Zoom swivel machine uh, so it could flip to the students and also show online and their laptop. They look like some kind of uh, DJ. Working, I saw pictures. Working in a hazmat suit on the moon. It's yeah. Like, and, oh, no, I've got to be brilliant, uh, too, while yeah. I do all this ridiculous yeah, it was, it was really, terrible. yeah. And then every five seconds, someone's squirting, you know, Windex in their face to kill a germ. It was, and, and it was tough because everybody, you know, half the world has more of a, well, I shouldn't say half, probably the majority of the world is like the 10 spies who said, there's giants. Mm. And two spies mm. say, by all means, we're okay. Mm. So most people were very fearful during that period of time. So their fears lived out with, by being very rigid with, mask placement and so you have people yelling at people because they're not half their nostril was showing so it created this very painful communal uh place which everything turned from servanthood to surveillance mm. and you talk about flipping the script because this is such a loving community that's face to face to being masked and surveilling one another mm. and ratting on each other Telling, turning people in for this or that, it it was horrible, and it was a low point of my presidency. The fall of 2020, we could only have 100 kids in chapel. They got to have masks. The whole ethos, the whole thing that makes this place, uh, I say, magical in a kingdom way, yeah. um, was taken from us, and so we had to find that thing about this school in a different place. It's not you know a big Saturday Notre Dame football game. It's mm -hmm. it's that chapel. And when that got hammered, and then fine arts, uh, we had a huge drop in fine arts that fall because I, I can't sing. I, I got to mm. be in a choir with a mask. I'm not going to study voice. So of all the programs in the in the university, worship and music was hit the worst. Hmm. And so that's the heart and soul of our school yeah. in many ways. Yeah. They are the uh, they just create so much of the vibe of this campus. So that's being rebuilt right now, but. That fall of 2020 was a nightmare. Mm -hmm. uh, we did it. We functioned. Um, then we we didn't even do commencement for everybody. And you know, I got you know a couple thousand parents in the parking lot who want to break the door down. Not all of them, a couple of them. <laughs> and I remember one email I got, uh, and it was from our security team who had had a game plan in case someone breaches the door, how they would block them. I said, okay, I want to get this straight. So we're gonna have Christians on the inside blocking Christian parents from entering a church. Hmm. This is the world that we've become. Hmm. Christians tackling other Christians as they enter a church because they can't go to commencement. Yeah. And I thought, how are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to reverse this madness? Um, and so 2020 was a very, 2021 right there that spring was, was brutal. Uh, we started in the fall of 2021 uh, to regain a little of our momentum and ethos, but it was still hard. Feelings were hurt. Yeah, Things were polarized. Students that come from a very um, anti-vax, anti-mask, you know, conservative, and then the kids who uh, come from areas where, well, of course we get vaccinated, of course we wear masks. Yeah. So now you have these 18, 19 year olds with different worldviews trying to share a common space. Mm -hmm. And who's, who would have ever saw that coming? Mm -hmm. And so you're trying to pull all of that 
sorrow together. I mean, what, what do you remember about that year, 2020, 2020? We kind of block it out of our head, to be honest. <laughs> Very much so. It just It felt like there, you're just constant resistance and constant... Um, blows to the to the head, mm -hmm. you know, because there was there was never a turn you could go where you didn't have somebody, you know, in a chaotic moment or in you know dif difficulty, and it was just so demonic yeah. in the sense of the our not in our school but just in society of how the enemy is trying to, you know, pit you know Christians against each other, pit you know black and white, you know, but every level there was a place you could pit against somebody mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we just had to go to prayer. And um, I felt like the team just were kings and queens. They just did worked so hard yeah. to keep everything going forward. And um, it was, it was, you know, a blessing to see that happen. But at the same time, it was, there was just nothing easy about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the strife was actually between students. Yeah. The, the oh, faculty and staff were gold mm -hmm. and parented and shepherded and cared well for the students because the real animosity was between students. Mm. So trying to pastor them when they're being so fed by what society and media is telling them and mm -hmm. they're being so influenced. And, and uh, so trying and, to... And, and don't forget, in the spring of 2021 is the Chauvin trial. Oh, oh right. yeah. So yeah. you've got Floyd in the spring of 2020 all the yeah. shutdowns, mm -hmm. trying to do school in masks, separation, no real chapel services for a year, feeding people outside, quarantines, 200 kids quarantined for 10 days in parts of Phillips. Mm -hmm. We're delivering food three times a day to them. All the energy mm -hmm. was that. Yeah. Um, and then the Chauvin trial, mm -hmm. which was the most traumatic day of my presidency yes. here. Really? Um, when, the, when the verdict went down, we were given a couple days, we were told we would have a few days notice. You know, the city was barricaded. Over a thousand National Guard with AK-47s mm -hmm. are on the street corners. You're going through barbed wire to get to school into downtown here. And just the anticipation of this verdict. And I'm old enough to remember, you know, Rodney King, when the Rodney King verdict happened in the early 90s. And those guys were found not guilty in the city of Los Angeles was burned to the ground. So we're just, we just don't know what the verdict's gonna be. And so we had had a game plan. We were gonna send the students home on that Wednesday because the verdict, once we knew the trial, they were gonna announce a verdict would be on Thursday. We were gonna have a 24 hour notice. We were gonna send everybody out of the city uh, on Wednesday before the verdict. And so it's Tuesday afternoon and they announce on television that the verdict will be read in 45 minutes. Oh. So there was not a moment's oh, no. time of preparation. So I got a thousand kids on this campus and I have parents texting from all over the United States, run, 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 mm -hmm. get out of the city. An alarm goes off in downtown Minneapolis and a, and a SMS message, whatever that is, um, is sent out saying, we're asking all public employees to please vacate the city in the next 45 minutes. Oh. So people are jetting out of, and I got a oh, thousand wow. kids sitting here, you know, three blocks. Some from, don't have cars, have some, cars. you know. And it's just too yeah. late. It's too late. It's just too late at this point in time. So the word at that time was, if it's not guilty, the freeways are going to be blocked. Yeah. yeah. And they're going to burn the city down. Yeah. And I can't get out now. So for that 45 minutes, um, it was, I don't know the toll it took. I probably lived five years of my presidency in those uh, Yeah, yeah. Stress. 
I, we put all the students in the sanctuary mm -hmm. and we um, went into, I waited for the verdict and I sat there and I found myself holding hands with my co-workers watching this. And I have a, a picture right when they announced the verdict, they was guilty and just our jaws are down. Um, and then I went in the auditorium and uh, with all the students and of course the city remained calm. But up until that moment, I'm telling you, it was, I thought I was gonna, it was a Will Smith movie uh, about to happen. Like, I have chills just and thinking we, about it. We had Ugh. no way out of no. the city because we were gonna evacuate to Bethel. If something mm. was gonna happen to the here, we were gonna evacuate to Bethel University. They were mm -hmm. gonna house us and or River Valley Church and do something. Yeah, Kids go home with families if they can't get out. Mm -hmm. It just was, you can't believe the things we were talking about yeah. and the things that were, the energy it took to plan it was enormous. Oh, and we have to educate. Yeah. So. Oh, a member of your school. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Wow. It was, it was wild. Wow. Well, I mean, I you said this right at the beginning, but the Lord knew who he was putting into leadership in that moment. And yeah. I, he, he knew what was going to happen. This wasn't news mm -hmm. to him mm -hmm. at all. And I'm glad that you had a team because, I mean, teams were just torn apart. Mm -hmm. I mean, I left my job at right after in the middle of 2020. And before I left, though, I saw just a, this team that was put together. We had no drama, no problems, just completely crumble mm -hmm. because of everything you talked yeah. about. So many factors. And that is it's heartbreaking. It's it's difficult. But I, I'm curious, Karen, what does it look like? Obviously, you guys are a team. You know, mm -hmm. he's not running this thing on his own. And what did that look like for you to be supporting him and thinking of other leaders listening and they also um, maybe are a spouse to a leader who is going through crisis. How did you support him through that so that other people can learn how to support their person during um, something like it? I would say probably, well, obviously it, it began with prayer because I could see the, <clears throat> the need for just an, a heightened awareness of, um, of, we don't we don't have experience in this because nobody does. Mm -hmm. um, and my husband has got to lead this. And um, we always talk about you know for thirty five of the years that we have been together, we pastored together, we co pastored, we did everything together. And this actual particular position that we're in now is his job. Mm -hmm. So I don't have the job; it's his mm -hmm. job. And so. Um, really just trying to uh, create a peaceful environment in our home mm -hmm. so that when he does come home, he can have, I'm not going to drill him about what's going on at the office or, you know, I just felt like my role was to make life as peaceful mm -hmm. in our home environment um, and with our family as much as possible so that he could be re-energized for the task that was at hand, mm -hmm. you know, so... I think praying together, being mm -hmm. just because uh, we are a team. So whatever mm -hmm. we do, we do it together, mm -hmm. you know. And, and keeping our theology sound, yeah. uh, we we recognize Second Timothy and First Timothy talk at length. First Timothy three is these difficult uh, times in the last days, and we realize that these will be the characteristics mm -hmm. of our society. This isn't a shock. Mm -hmm. It's just sometimes to wrestle with, are we actually living in this, yeah. these characteristics? Mm -hmm. And it sure feels that way. I mean, the Bible is making more sense than it's ever made before to me. Mm -hmm. um, just looking at the world and 
um, the unsettled uh, traumas of the world. And so and the other key thing too is making certain that we held true uh, to being a biblical university. Justice can subsume everything you think about. And justice is a critical part of the kingdom, but it's not the only part of the mm-hmm. kingdom. There's there's truth, there's righteousness, there's holiness, there's evangelism, there's a lot of things that are going on. And sometimes it can be, justice can be the only thing, it replaces, it replaces everything. And so making certain that we were still holding true to all facets of the of the gospel mm-hmm. and of, of the Bible, rather than just this one significant aim, um, and protecting the school uh, from being, making certain that the legitimacy, legitimacies of justice mm-hmm. are being done, but also protecting it from some of the absurdities that are going on. Mm-hmm. It it takes uh, kind of it takes prophetic spiritual leadership, mm-hmm. uh, pastoral yeah. leadership to say yes, yes, no, yes, yes, no. Um, our school is going to do this or not participate because there were some other things that we were asked to do that I said no to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just didn't have a, a gut feel that that was the right thing for the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would, the Floyd thing was absolutely. And then we held, there was a young man that was killed um, last year, a basketball player at, at Minneapolis North, a very, uh, his name was Deshaun, and uh, national story. And we hosted his funeral here. Mm-hmm. We had, you know, every seat filled mm-hmm. here. And um, it was a very powerful act of kindness for the community. But I've been asked to do some other things for more of a political aim. And I, I say, no, we're not going to use the school for that. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys are truly a team. That's <laughs> for sure. And how do you support each other just in big role changes even? You know, we're ta- we've are we been talking about crisis, but kind of looking at just like in marriage yeah, and being married for so long, you've got years of experience. Mm-hmm. And what does it look like when, oh, I have an opportunity here. Mm-hmm. It, I might be more of, of a focus and in, in what we're adjusting to in our life and day to day. What does that look like for you guys? Uh, I would say, um, you know, the I was thinking of the scripture that, you know, we're to bear one another's burdens, but everybody has to carry his own mm-hmm. backpack. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bible says own load. Yep. It's my version of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, her, our own load. And so, uh, again, you know, being that we have been co-pastors for all of the years that we've been in ministry. So uh, for me personally, I know I had to I had to ask the Holy Spirit to help me understand what my uh, what my role is going to be in the present in our present assignment, and really listen for um, you know God what do you have me to do because mm-hmm. obviously we know we're always first of all He's always speaking and so if I'm listening I know He's got something for me that He needs me to do, and so God really helped me to understand you know being present and being. Uh, you know, loving on the kids and just starting there and being available to teach their Bible studies and mm. doing all that. And he really supported me in that. He really I pursued that, um, helped me pursue just whatever God was saying and ch- uh, preaching in chapel. And, you know, obviously, I don't know how you felt. I supported you, but I know you've, you, you support me. You've always supported me in ministry anyway. Um, he's a great uh, supporter of women in ministry and mm. not only team um, in ministry and marriage, but yeah, I think it's, it's that support system that we've had together that we push each other forward mm-hmm. and we, uh, call out the best in each other. But, um, ultimately, you know, I have to do what God's called me to do and he supports that he has to do what God's called him to do. And then I'm going to support that and mm-hmm. do whatever I can to make that happen. 
Yeah, there's no doubt that this job as a college president would be very, very difficult for a leader with small kids to pull mm. off this job. Mm -hmm. It's a 24-7 job. It, it's seven days a week. Um, it's very, even on a day off, there's seven things looming that you're mm -hmm. thinking. You, can, you can't unfree your mind from enrollment issues, budget issues, employee issues. It's, just, it's, it's relentless. Um, it's a wonderful job in that sense, but it is, um, it's consuming. We, because we have a legitimate, wonderful marriage, which we absolutely do, 40 years. Um, we got married, I was 19, she was 20. So we became adults together. Mm. So there was no adult memory I had without her. Mm. So I, there was no comparison. Everything that I discovered for the first time, she was by my side as an adult. There's something powerful in that. If you can endure the journey and the process, which we have, because we've kept the Lord center of our lives, and we have kept God's word at the center of our thoughts, and we we nobody is perfect. We stray from it, but not too far from it, mm -hmm. and then we bring ourselves back. Mm -hmm. Like, no, this is we're not going there. Mm -hmm. um, and because of that. Uh, we have been able to have the framework behind the scenes, emotional framework behind the scenes to endure this public square. Because it is interesting, when, I, when they interviewed me for this job, they went all the way back to college. Hmm. So they went back and talked to people that I was in college with. Everywhere, all five places of ministry, they talked to those hmm. boards, they talked to my PhD supervisor. Thorough. But they went all the way back. <laughs> to college, and I said, please tell me high school's under the blood. I mean, if, <laughs> if high school's in play, no one's gonna be no, that job. No. Please tell me high school's under the blood of Jesus. And so they laughed, uh, kind of. And uh, <laughs> But I, they told me the reason they do that is because for a college, the minute they hit, hit that button and it goes out, here's our new president. Their fear of the search committee and the search firms is like, then five minutes later, we get a phone call from somebody in Albuquerque saying, hey, I saw you just hired my dad to be, he doesn't know I'm his kid. So they just go very slow. It took a year. And I understand why, because it's a very public role. Oh, yeah. Everything is scrutinized. Everything's examined in your life, your social media, everything you do. And not a lot of people can emotionally handle it. We can't. Mm. Because we've lived under that. So we we're stay pretty whimsical. We're at ease with public scrutiny. And we don't take it too serious. But we also don't blow it off. Mm -hmm. So somewhere in there, we have figured out an emotional standing for this role without it making us cocky and arrogant. Mm. Being a president is a tremendous social job. Um, but it's also the weight of it. The demands of it wipe away the, you know, the prestige of it pretty quick. I mean, a couple of times you you walk in it, you dress like a, a judge, and you, you look like, <laughs> and people get all weird around around you when you find your college president. Mm. You kind of like whoa, like look, I gotta sit up straighter yes, a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's just funny to watch that happen. Mm -hmm. um, but it is, it's a joy. You know, we were, like I said, we just both turned sixty, so. You know, we're not won't do this our whole life, uh, but it is a uh, it's been an awesome, awesome journey. Mm -hmm. I also try to provide balance in keeping because we are really big on staying healthy. Mm. And so, like, he comes home at night and I I will say, OK, let's go walk. You mm. know, we got to get out there because yeah. he needs that mental break of something yeah. different. You know, not only that, he needs physical exercise as well as I. So we do. I, I really 
kind of press that mm -hmm. side of it and mm -hmm. keep, try to keep him eating correctly yeah. and getting out and getting some exercise. So mm -hmm. that's very important. Yep. Mm. Very important. <laughs> Quick plug. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> By the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, you both are so active in just leadership roles and opportunities. Do you feel like you have similar leadership styles in how you do things or are they different? Absolutely. Completely and totally different. Yeah. And, after, and totally the same. Yeah. Well, <laughs> even after 40 years, we come at life completely from two different places. Mm -hmm. He's a complete extrovert. I'm a complete introvert. Mm -hmm. And so, but, but the beautiful thing about that is that we've learned how to um, listen to one another. Mm -hmm. And to, we have this phrase that we have in our marriage, uh, the best idea wins. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when we are presented with something, we talk through it. And if it's, you know, sometimes it doesn't really get heated because we don't really, um, we don't argue. Mm -hmm. We talk. We discuss, but we don't argue. We never raise our voices. And, um, uh, but yeah, we always talk about what's the best idea. And he respects my leadership opinion and mm -hmm. I respect his leadership opinion. And um, we're both also very strong, mm -hmm. very strong in our opinions. <laughs> and so, but I would say that we, yeah, our, our leadership styles are completely different. The way he studies, the way I study, mm -hmm. the way he do, does his devotional time, the way I do mine completely the opposite and we've learned how to accept the differences that mm -hmm. we have and which allows us to then be able to appreciate it but we're both whimsical which means mm -hmm. we laugh easily mm -hmm. we laugh at each other mm -hmm. we laugh at ourselves we laugh at the world mm -hmm. we laugh at people mm -hmm. and so we're very common in, yeah. in how what makes we've us learned how laugh. to do that mm -hmm. and but we also are very common we both can recognize a problem that there's a problem mm -hmm. It's not like one person has to convince you, but whether it's your money or family or situation in the world, we have a, a keen eye together to say that actually is a problem that we need to address, mm -hmm. you need to address. So we're not arguing about fundamentally what is even wrong. Mm -hmm. We both feel what's wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's critical to a great marriage. Um, and we also feel when something's wonderful mm -hmm. simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Like, isn't that great? It is great. So we have that that whoosh of, of parallel emotions that come into situations, and it's not simply because we've been together for forty years, but it's that we are compatible. Um, so we have a compatibility of our outlook and our emotions about life. Mm -hmm. So we're not distracted. And then the key she mentioned it: we don't raise our voice at each other. In you know tone is everything the Bible oh. speaks about. Mm -hmm. A gentle mm -hmm. answer turns away wrath. So we have never ratcheted up the wrath by yelling at each other. I came from a family that screamed at each other every day. My parents yelled at each other. Her parents never raised their voice. I thought she was from another planet when she <laughs> said it. But we have committed to the model of her upbringing, and now our kids model the same mm. thing. So it's really remarkable. That alone, you know, I, I tell people, what's the key to a great long-lasting marriage, two things. Don't have an affair mm -hmm. and don't raise your voice at each other. Mm -hmm. And you'll be shocked how mm -hmm. far you will go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And not raising your voice doesn't mean you don't, like, have a discussion, as right. you talked about. Like, yeah. you can still be like, okay, tell me why yeah. you're choosing to do it this way or that way. Yeah, we're not going to let it escalate. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, when we tell millennials that we don't raise our voice, they immediately go, well, you're not authentic. I mm -hmm. said, no, you don't understand what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I said, she just nailed it. We are very authentic but we don't escalate the situation and create second and third tier problems that didn't yeah. exist that only exist because you're yelling at each mm -hmm. other. Mm -hmm. You know, a couple starts yelling and they go, well, I've never been happy. Really? It, 
you didn't think that 10 seconds ago because you have uncontrolled emotions. You're saying Mm -hmm. something without thought. Mm -hmm. You've never been happy in 20 years of our marriage. Mm -hmm. So then, then that person, now that's the new problem that you said that all that doesn't happen if you can guard your tone with each other because your thoughts can stay regulated and governed. So Mm -hmm. yeah, we're authentic and yeah, we have problems. Mm -hmm. Yes, we struggle through (laughs) things and wrestle through, but we just don't do it with a loud voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the social work world, we say your downstairs brain didn't flip up because that's when, (laughs) when it flips up, that's that's when everything, (laughs) you say things you don't mean. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely. Do you like having the different like leadership styles that we were talking about? Do you appreciate, have you grown, I should say, to appreciate that? I know I appreciate his leadership style because um, I'm learning I've always been able to learn from him I feel like he's helped me being the opposite type of a personality has helped me come out of my shell mm. and uh, to be able to become a speaker and to do things that I never thought I would be able to mm. do and then I know for him he's talked about how I'm a balancer Is yeah if I said? hadn't have found Christ or found Karen <laughs> I would be sleeping on a large uh, pile of dirty laundry <laughs> and who, who I would have been living in Vegas and probably in jail or You're hilarious. <laughs> No, no, I think he. I brought some grounding because I'm Absolutely. more consistent in my approach to life, and he's the risk risk taker, mm. which has helped. So each each of those things have balance, helped the yeah. other to mm. become more than we were. Yeah, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. I love that. Well. I think we could probably sit and talk for like another seven hours. This has been so insightful and just, I think, helpful for people listening, even just to get an inside look on being a leader in crisis and what it looks like to have that foundation of being Jesus Mm -hmm. through all of it and having the Holy Spirit guide you in every single avenue of where you're making your decisions. Mm-hmm. And I, yes, I think this was incredibly helpful. And, but I want to be respectful of your time and just thank you so much for joining me. Any final thoughts, any final words that you have before we go? I would just say uh, our phrase this year at the university has been, God is good. I am glad. Mm-hmm. And life is good. Second uh, Peter three says, whoever desires the good life, let him keep his lips from speaking guile, hmm. um, which means don't be manipulative in this life. Uh, be true, and sometimes that means being bold. Sometimes it means being humble. Uh, but you have to uh, keep life in front of you, not alongside or behind you. And there is a good life in front of us, even in perilous times. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven is the famous verse. I know the plans I have for you. But Jeremiah 29, 1 through 10, or verse 11 says, I'm sending you into exile. For 70 years, they were going to go into exile. Mm. He says, but I want you to buy fields, plant gardens, grow a harvest, get married, have kids, let your kids have kids, find spouses for your kids, Eat and feast from the garden you plant. So Mm. there's a good life in the middle of a chaotic Mm, world. That's Mm -hmm. good. And so as a believer, we are looking at our crazy world every day. Mm -hmm. How are Christian universities supposed to do this in this day and age? But we also know inside that chaos is a good life Mm -hmm. inside the chaos uh, that the Lord gives us. Mm -hmm. So we are believing for the future. We're planting gardens, building houses. Having kids, grandkids, finding spouses for the grandkids. <laughs> and even though we're in a, a turbulent time. Yeah. Any final thoughts? 
No, I just say I, one of my favorite scriptures is, you know, guard your heart because that's where from the wellspring of life is all, everything mm -hmm. comes out of that. And so I think for that, it, it talks about, you know, the Bible always continually talks about walking in humility. Mm -hmm. And I think for us as a, as a couple um, in leading, we have to remain humble and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. And, and you're going to be successful in all the things that you do and walk blessed if you will allow yourself to um, walk humbly before the Lord, guard your heart, keep your mouth in check, um, function in the in the fruit of the Spirit, mm -hmm. and, um, and listen to the voice of God because mm -hmm. He does want us to live um, holy and righteous, and we are to be an example in the chaotic world. We're not to run and hide. Yep. We're supposed to be present. Mm -hmm. So that's that's how you do it. You be, follow what the, what the scripture says. Amen. Amen to all of it. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much no, for, for joining me. Yeah. Absolutely. It was an honor. <laughs> thank you for joining us for this episode of the Bridge in the Gap podcast. We were honored to hear from Dr. Scott and Karen Hagen on leading and supporting others through crisis. Learn more about the Hagens by following scotthagen.ncu or Karen Hagen on social media or connect with them at levelbestleader.org or pastorkarenhagen at gmail.com. You can also find books written by Dr. Scott by searching Scott Hagen on Amazon. Learn more about Bridging the Gap at mnbtg.org by downloading the Bridging the Gap app through your app store or by following mnbtg on social media. We also invite you to rate and review this podcast to help others find this resource as well. Thank you for joining us today and we look forward to being with you next time on the Bridging the Gap podcast.